Hey everyone, David Bowden here. Before we start the show, we have a special announcement from the team here at Spoken Gospel. As we approach our summer film block, we're filming our final introductions for our whole project on the Bible, including books of the Bible like the book of Revelation and Chronicles, and it's going to be an amazing time. And we are almost finished funding our need for this film block, and we have about $30,000 left to cross the finish line. And we are asking you, our podcast listeners, to help make this possible. So please consider supporting our mission by visiting the Spoken Gospel website, clicking on donate and contributing what you can. Whether you choose to donate once or monthly, we're so grateful for your support. Okay, now on with the show. The religious establishment at Thessalonica is connected That's to right. the religious establishment in Jerusalem and they're taking orders from them right. in who, some sense. Who else sent Saul to go kill a bunch of Christians that's, other than Jerusalem. That's exactly right. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible is about him. In each episode, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We have just finished three episodes looking at First and Second Thessalonians, and it brings up a lot of questions about the day of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus, who is the man of lawlessness. And we really looked at those first two letters, and we, we talked about the main point of them, about Paul encouraging the believers who are being persecuted that Jesus was coming to right all wrongs. But we left a lot of details unanswered. We we really left a lot of details unanswered. That is what this episode is for. Yes. And I wanted to preface this episode just by saying, like, there are I am struggling yeah. to make as best the best sense I can of these texts, yeah. these passages of scripture. And I hold the opinion I'm about to say loosely. Um but I am exploring themes that are happening throughout the Bible and trying to make sense of them with, in conversation with First Thessalonians. And I am really kind of excited to have like a speculative and experimental conversation with yeah. you. This will um, be different from our regularly yes, scheduled program. It's like I am exploring an idea yep. that I think uh, uh, that I currently am holding. And I'm wanting David to poke as many holes in it as possible. Yeah, basically what we decided uh, to do was instead of having this conversation off air, we're yes. going to have it on air. Yes. So <laughs> Seth, is, Seth and Christine have been studying and, and trying to develop um, you know, some opinions around what all these details in Thessalonians mean and how to jive them with other passages in Matthew, Revelation, and Daniel that we've kind of been coming to consensus on outside of Thessalonians. And now we're like, how does Thessalonians fit into this? Yeah this picture. So Seth and I are on the same page on a lot of things in Daniel revelation and Matthew. And we've talked about all those things on air before. That's um, right. But now it's like, does Thessalonians break those? Does it fit those? How right. so? We've not had that conversation yet. We've been waiting yeah, 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 yeah. to sit down with microphones between us. And here it is. And here it is. So welcome, welcome. to a conversation among friends about first <laughs> and second Thessalonians. Let's go. So I th just, here's the, my story Okay, is I, have gr increasingly grown to read a lot of Jesus's prophetic announcements and parts of the book of Daniel and parts of the book of Revelation as 
references to the fall of Jerusalem in mm-hmm. AD 70. I yes. think Jesus in Matthew 23 and 24 and 25 is speaking about the fall of Jerusalem, the judgment that will come upon the religious and establishment. Sp- and specifically of, the temple. Specifically the temple. Yeah. Uh, because they are the religious establishment that killed their God. Right. God had revealed himself to the Jewish people and entrusted that message in particular to the priests, the priesthood of Israel. Mm-hmm. And it is the priesthood and the religious order of Israel that has rejected the Son of God so fully that they crucified him. Right. So Jesus prophesies in Matthew uh, 24 that there will be an end of the temple. Um, and that this will be a climactic judgment against them. Right. So I think Jesus is talking about that in Matthew 23 and 24. Mm-hmm. I think he's talking about that at least in a good portion of Revelation. I think it's that Daniel talks about it. And I think the prophets talk about it more generally. Mm-hmm. And so as I become more convinced of that elsewhere in Scripture, what I came to this First Thessalonians, mm-hmm. I expected to read a book about the second coming of the Lord. I've actually preached through this passage before right. as a pastor. And yeah. I was like, and I preached this with like, oh, these people are confused about when Jesus will come at the end of time. Yeah. But what I was struck by as I read this was that first and second Thessalonians is full of references to Matthew 23, 24, and 25, Daniel and Revelation that talk about times that are not the second coming of the Lord, but the destruction of the temple in AD 70. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, wait a second is 1 Thessalonians actually not about the second coming of the Lord at the end of time, but Mm -hmm. actually Paul is encouraging the Thessalonian believers that judgment um, against the people that are persecuting them, Mm -hmm. the Jewish establishment in Thessalonica, is coming in real space-time history very, very soon, within within 20 years of the writing of the letter. Mm -hmm. And he's saying that day hasn't happened yet. It's coming. Right. Hope for it. Expect it. Mm Um, it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, and so that's my working theory right yeah, now. Right, is that Paul is writing to the Thessalonians about that near day of the Lord, with the, which is the destruction of the temple in AD seventy, not necessarily or not uh, not only about mm-hmm. the final day of the Lord at the end of t- at the end of time. Okay, that's really helpful to hear your journey. Uh, so to repeat a couple things back to you to just kind of make sure it's really clear. Um, there are two cataclysmic events that we need to have in our minds. Yeah. And uh, Jesus and the New Testament authors talk about both of them. One is in the year 70, 70, uh, when in actual history, yep. the temple in Jerusalem was raised to the ground, destroyed. By the armies of Rome. And it's still never been built again. That's right. Jesus's prophecy against it that not one stone would be left standing on another that he said in Matthew, uh, was it 23, 24? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that has come true. Um, and, and then there's another cataclysmic event that we believe that that Jesus is also coming back to raise the dead, to gather all human souls to himself, to the final judgment of the righteous and the unrighteous mm-hmm. uh, into eternity. Yep. Right. Well, He's going to judge all evil at that time. That's right. And yeah. live with us forever. Not just the evil of one religious system in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. you know, in the temple, but all evil everywhere in all times and all places forever. That's right. Okay. So there's two events. And and when, yeah, I would I would say the same thing. When I was reading First and Second Thessalonians up until this very conversation, I'd always <laughs> read the coming day of the Lord, the Jesus is coming that it, tells them to talk about that they think already came all that kind of stuff 
I'd always and only read that in reference to the second cataclysmic event. Yes. That Jesus coming at the end of time to judge everyone. Yeah. But um, as you said, a lot of the language that Paul uses actually references very clear prophetic enunciations against the destruction of the temple. That's right. Not necessarily Jesus coming at the end of time. Right. Um, and, and and so that's that's what we're talking that's about. What, that's, that's what the we're issue. talking about. That's right. Okay. So yep. let's just rewind. Okay. And let's talk about some like prior assumptions All or right. like some prior background knowledge that brings me to think about this. So like one is the very phrase, the coming of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So Paul uses this um, in chapter four and chapter five. In verse 15, he says, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord. Um, right. So and then in a second, he was not, he's going to switch and he's going to talk about not the coming of the Lord, but the day of the Lord. In chapter five, verse two, he says, you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Mm. And so those two phrases, the coming of the Lord yes. and the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord are just like loaded. Yes. Very with loaded. Old Testament images. Right. And so like one of, we've talked about this before. It's like one of the first things when you read a new Testament passage, the best thing you can do is like read backwards yes. and say, where in the old Testament do these themes or ideas come up? Right. And I think it's hard with the word coming because it's such a, a normal verb. But it's like actually a very concrete, the, the coming of the Lord. I am coming to you, says the Lord your God, is a regular phrase is in, a, in, the, in the prophets. Right. And one of the places that that is really clear mm. uh, is in Daniel chapter 7. Right. Where you have the coming of the Lord mm-hmm. into authority and power in heaven. So yep. it's this picture of God sitting on a throne and one like a son of man rising up on a cloud and taking his throne in the heavens. Mm-hmm. And this is described in the Old Testament as a coming. It's right. the ascension of one like a son of man. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would, I would understand that as, as Jesus, but also all those who trust in Jesus. When, you know, like Jesus takes his throne mm-hmm. and believers are seated with him in yeah. power. Let me highlight one thing you said yes. there because it's, it's striking. Yes. Is... There's a sense, not always, yeah, but in Daniel at least, there's a sense that a, the coming of the Lord could not just be from heaven to earth, mm-hmm. but from the earth to a heavenly throne. That's right. Him coming to his throne as an ascension, not just a descension. That's right. Okay. Um, and so another place where that happens is Mount Sinai. Okay. God comes to the top of Mount Sinai in a cloud, mm-hmm. just like in Daniel 7. There's thunder and there's angels on the mountain. He yep. comes down. Scorches fire. Scorches fire. Yeah. And then Abraham, a son or of man. Moses. Ascend, uh, mo- sorry, Moses, one like a son of man, yep. ascends. Right. And he speaks to the Lord. He comes to the Lord. On the mountain. Right. In uh, Psalm 45, when God's king is enthroned, mm-hmm. the whole people go up with shouts of trumpets to the ascension ceremony of God uh, mm. or of, of God's son. So th- what I'm trying to flag here is yeah. when the people, the word coming can have the sense of like a descending into to do action on the earth. Right. But it also has like the implications of kingly ascension language. Yeah. It's the, it's the inauguration of God's people, Israel, mm-hmm. when he comes down on the mountain and man goes up. Right. When the son of man takes his throne, he begins a kingdom with all the saints of God who mm-hmm. have been mm-hmm. persecuted by the deadly beasts. And 
Jesus as well will describe his coming in similar fashion when he's being um, interrogated Mm. by the Sanhedrin and they question him, are you the son of God? He says, I am, and you will see him rising on the clouds to take his authority Mm -hmm. in heaven. So Jesus understands that his death is a, is in accordance with this ascension motif of the coming of the Lord, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So when he's coming, when he's draped in purple robes, crowned, when people bow to him, when he's handed a scepter, that's mm-hmm. a reed. These are this is an ascension ceremony. That's right. King, um, and then yeah, he and then he literally ascends into the clouds, right. which is what the book of Luke says. Right. He ascends into the clouds. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I wanted to just flag is the coming of the Lord. One of the first things a Hebrew reader of the Bible would have thought of. What Paul would have probably thought of is an ascension ceremony. That's right. God enthroning himself in the heavens. And his people being joined to him. That's right. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah, that's fascinating. I've never actually heard that before. Mm-hmm. That, But it, it maps on really well with the coming of God throughout the Bible mm-hmm. when God comes when God comes and, and sits on an earthly throne in a sense, yep. whether that's on top of Mount Sinai or uh, one or his representative king in Israel or whatever, the people then go up, whether that's Moses going up or the singing multitudes going up to the throne. There is this coming of God to sit enthroned and then the people of God rising up to meet him. That's right. Fascinating. Super fascinating. Really helpful. Okay. So the the other thing. Yes. So you have the coming of the Lord. Then you have the day of the Lord. Yes. Is the other big trigger phrase. Yeah. Can we keep going on the coming of the Lord? Oh, first? sure. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. so coming of the Lord has this ascension quality to it. Right. But it also has a judgment quality to it. Mm. So God can come in judgment. Right. Yeah. Right. So He can come in judgment. And so very interestingly, when Jesus is prophesying the destruction of the temple. Mm-hmm. He quotes Daniel chapter seven right. again, and so he says he says this. So this is this is how Jesus describes his coming in judgment against the temple. Mm. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the man, Son of Man, coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Mm. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, mm. and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. And then Jesus says right after this, this will happen before this generation passes away. Right. So this is an ascension phrase. This is a descriptive of Jesus' ascension to his throne, but he's also using it as a description of his judgment against the temple at the same time. Right. That's why everyone's mourning. That's right. And this was an interesting idea that I had with uh, Christine earlier, uh, staff writer Christine. If you're in on this conversation, you know who Christine is. That's right. Um, Is that frequently throughout Israel's history, the ascension of God's chosen king was also occurred while there was alternate kings vying for power. Hmm. So, for example, um, when Solomon rises to power, mm-hmm. uh, ascends to the throne, that ascension is uh, attended with a rival claim to the throne in a man named Adonijah. Mm. He sneaks off, declares himself to be king. Mm-hmm. Um, some people start following him, and then Solomon has to be ascend. Uh, his ascension ceremony has to kind of happen on the sly in the temple, but eventually he's crowned king, and the rebellion, yeah. his coup attempt, yeah. is squashed. Okay. So the reason I bring this up is that throughout Scripture, Ascension ceremonies are also attended by 
judgment ceremonies where another figure will set himself up as a rival king. I see. But he is judged for his power play and mm-hmm. is cast out of the kingdom. This happens in Adonijah. It also happens in David's reign with mm. his son Absalom. Oh. Well, he's off the throne for a season, has to reascend to his throne. Absalom has to be cast out yeah. um, for in order for him to ascend. Mm. So just even the idea of the coming of the Lord being first about ascension, even that idea comes with it, this idea of judgment against rival, yes. rival kingdoms, uh, some, right? Yeah, some rival king. Okay. And then on top of that coming of the Lord frequently throughout the Old Testament is just the way that God judges evil nations. Right. He comes against evil nations frequently. Yes. He comes against Egypt. He comes against yes. uh, Israel frequently mm-hmm. in judgment for their evil. Right. So just to say the word coming has ascension language and judgment language wrapped up in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's exactly the same word Paul is using in Thessalonians. Yes. Okay. Okay. So that's the coming of the Lord. Then we have this other trigger word, the day of the Lord. Yes. Uh, which is another huge Old Testament category um, that is, again, typically used of a, a time of judgment mm-hmm. when God would come against something on the earth uh, and bring judgment. And typically, as my understanding is, although it has multiple horizons, which I'm sure is a yeah. phrase we'll talk about yeah. in this conversation, uh overwhelmingly i would guess when the day of the lord is talked about in the prophets it's about the destruction of the temple yep or a judgment coming upon israel in some way That's god's right. people in some way right. yes not like the nations although that is one of the horizons of the day of the lord mm-hmm. it's sometimes it yep. also is included in that but a lot of times the day of the lord is coming against israel mm-hmm. and results in the destruction of her temple yeah when a hebrew reader was thinking about the day of the Lord, they would probably think the ultimate climactic day of the Lord was when Babylon destroyed mm-hmm. uh, Solomon's temple. Yep. Um, and that was a day of the Lord against the corruption of Israel's religious leadership. That's right. Um, and that, that was the day of the Lord. Right. So the reason we, uh, we have all this backstory yeah. is like Paul is using these words, which generally had some very concrete things in mind, the ascension of a king, the judgment of rival powers mm-hmm. and the um, judgment of a wicked city, right? Uh, whether Israel or otherwise. Sure, yeah. But a judgment of wicked city in real time. Yeah. The day of the Lord j- had further horizons, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. It's like the judgment that happens in Nineveh will be like the judgment on the end of the day. That's right. But it always first had a near time referent mm-hmm. in Israel, in Nineveh, right. in wherever right a real historical babylonian army came and really destroyed a physical temple in israel and so when when paul is pulling on this language it's not something uh holy and almost forever indefinitely future uh or or necessarily physical or uh spiritual that's right it's something that is is coming knocking at the door Mm -hmm. and physical yes uh, that is like it's it's soon. Yeah. There's an impending threat. An impending threat. And I'll add this, an impending an appen, uh, impending yeah. threat that has, I'm just going to use the word again, multiple horizons. Right. So frequently throughout the prophets, they'll they'll talk about a coming day of the Lord that is like a previous day of the Lord mm-hmm. in which he came in fire and smoke on Mount Sinai or it's like this coming day of the Lord will be like when he brought the plagues 
on Egypt. That's right. So, so the so the the judgment of Egypt by the plagues was one day of the Lord, mm-hmm. and then it gets repeated right multiple times. So the, the point here is the day of the Lord generally has a near referent, mm-hmm. like a near historical referent. Yes, but is also understood to be part of a pattern. Yes, that will has repeated in the past and will likely repeat again. Yes. in the future. That's right. One of the one of my favorite like metaphors for how to understand this is the mountain range. Yes, yeah, right. And it's like if you stand far away from a, a really impressive mountain. I'm the range, prophet Isaiah, and I'm seeing in the distance some distant historical day of the Lord. Right, and it's like you standing far away from a mountain range, and it, and it looks sometimes the way the mountains can group together. It looks like they're right next to each other, mm-hmm. and you could draw an out line of the silhouette of the mountains and it's like oh look at that one mountain yep and it and you could describe it and what it looks like and then as you get closer to it you realize that oh you're coming up on one of these mountains much earlier than another one that looks what well, look like one yeah. mountain from you know 10,000 feet away is actually right. three mountains that yes. are you know one behind the other yes and they're like they look similar right they have repeated facets. But you I, come to one before the other. That's right. And then when you get to one, that doesn't disqualify or that's unmake right. the other two summits. That's like right. They both think they all exist at the same time. Yes. And they they belong together. And we can mm-hmm. talk about them as the Rocky Mountains. Yes. Right? Like, like right. everything we'd say about the Rocky Mountains are true about all of them. Yeah. But as you walk toward them, you're going to hit one peak first. Yeah. And that's what's happening with the Day of the Lord. Frequently throughout the Old Testament, right. the Day of the Lord... People thought it was one thing, and frequently it ended up being multiple things. That's right. Oh, that one came sooner than I thought it was going to. That's right. And right. that means must mean there's another one after that, and there's one before That's right. It. So, so yes. for instance, like some of the things that it seems like should happen, given the day of the Lord that is prophesied about in the Old Testament with the destruction of Israel's temple by the Babylonians, still hasn't happened yet. It's like... Well, where's all the peace and the frolicking with animals and oh, the right. stuff that's supposed to happen? That's not going on yet. It's like, yes. right, because we got the first mountain, but there's still another one on the other side of it. Yes. And this one prefigures that one, but we're still waiting for this next ideal, this next yes. iteration. Yes. We, we're not through the whole mountain range yet. Yes, that's okay. right. So that's all. That's what the, we mean by multiple horizons. That's what we mean by okay. multiple horizons. And so that's all the background knowledge that I'm bringing. So when I start reading words like the coming of the Lord and the day of the Lord, mm-hmm. I have these categories like, okay, ascension language. Right. I've got judgment language. I've got like historical judgment on a city, generally Israel, although yeah. other nations as well. Right. And so when I read Paul or any New Testament author using those words, I want to have the same inclinations as Old Testament readers or, you know, people who are reading this for the first time. So those are the things I'm trying to bring into the story. And so far, nothing you have said about the coming of the Lord or the day of the Lord disqualifies a reading of First and Second Thessalonians that would favor the the end time coming of Jesus, you know, when it's all said and done. That's right. Like that fits the pattern. That it's part the pa- of the mountain range. It mm-hmm. is a coming. He will destroy rival kings. It, yes. You know, he will judge wicked nations. It fits all the paradigms. Right. So first Thessalonians yep. must the, at least touch about, on that. About the final coming of the Lord. Right. But it can also be about, and it's, perhaps yeah. Paul intended it to be about first, right. is the destruction of the temple in 87. Is there another peak before that one? That's right. Another mountain in, in right. the mountain range. Because, and we said it really early on in the conversation, mm-hmm. but let's say it again one time. Uh, is because a, a, he's not just quoting the Old Testament. He's also quoting Jesus. Yeah, and, that's right. And he's quoting Jesus like, the, that day will come like a thief in the night. 
the abomination that causes desolation is something that gets riffed on. Um, I, Christine did some work for us. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, at least 11 direct references in First Thessalonians 4 uh, through 5 and 2 Thessalonians 2, directly quoting or referencing Matthew 23 and 24. Matthew 23, 24 and 25. Which is... Which is is definitely talking about the destruction of the temple. Yes, at least part of at it. At least is, part of it. No is, one questions that at least part of that is talking about the destruction of the temple. And specifically, chapter 23, let's just name it. Chapter 23 is a list of seven woes against mm-hmm. the religious establishment of Israel that right. was persecuting Jesus. And woes prophetically, uh, typically preceded judgment. Right. Woe to you, Tyre and Cush and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. For now is coming upon you the day of the Lord where all these bad things will happen. That's right. And interestingly, at the very end of his critique of the false te- of the Pharisees, mm-hmm. the religious establishment of Israel, he, he says this. He says, you have been murdering, pe- murdering the sons of God and mm-hmm. the prophets from uh, the beginning. Surely I tell you, all these woes will come upon this generation. Right. So Jesus understands that there will be some sort of cataclysmic event that ends in the judgment of the religious establishment that persecuted him. Right. Um, And subsequently, his first followers, like Stephen. Yeah. Presumably even the Thessalonian believers who Who died died. after being converted. Mm -hmm. Most people date Thessalonians, one of Paul's first letters, canonized letters, uh, to AD 50, so mm-hmm. 20 years before the fall of of the temple in right. Jerusalem, mm-hmm. in a time which the temple establishment, the religious establishment of Israel, would have had influence throughout the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. right? So it's very likely, or it's plausible at least, yeah. that since Jesus expected a fall of the institution that killed him, Paul expects the fall of that institution as well, right. yeah. and that he is proclaiming to believers who are also being persecuted by that institution that that institution will fall right right yeah you've got this because even in the in the thing you quoted with with jesus and matthew it was either 23 24 where he says you know the the blood of you know the prophets that you've killed will be you know judged against this generation that's right all the i think he even says like all of the the holy deaths that have that's taken right. place from does it go all the way back to abel from, yeah, so he mentions the, the blood of Abel. The first the bl- murder in the Bible. And to the blood of Zechariah, the last prophet of the Bible. There you go. Yeah. From All of them are going to be enacted on this generation. That's right. And so there is this literal cataclysmic judging. Uh, yeah. And now we're adding to that tally Stephen, Jesus, the Thessalonian believers, mm-hmm. people that Saul himself killed. Yes. Right? Right. <laughs> like, all of this is a stacked up judgment waiting to be poured out. The martyrs of God waiting to be poured out on the religious establishment in Israel that has been guilty from the beginning of mm-hmm. condemning it and right. and and persecuting them. Yeah. Right. So this gets on to something that I've that I've been thinking about for a while now. Mm. I was like, why is the temple such a big deal? Right. Why is it that they get their 
own day of the Lord in advance of the final day of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be the last one until the final day of the Lord. There's no other day prophesied. The canon right. is closed. God's not speaking through prophets the way that he used to. So we have all these prophets speaking about days of the Lord, days of the Lord, days of the Lord. Jesus gets to pronounce one against the temple in Jerusalem in AD 70. And then we have no more until the end of time. Right. So why? what qualifies Jerusalem to be this climactic falling this temple to be a climactic falling and uh i think jesus is pointing at it like the temple ends up being a cipher or a symbol of like apostate Hmm. the apostate of god's people right rejecting god over and over and over again yeah It, it functions as a symbol for all those people among god's people that have failed to acknowledge him but i also think very concretely because Jesus was God's son. Yes. Because Jesus came as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Go listen to our Hebrews podcast. <laughs> because he offered a final sacrifice in his own body on the mm-hmm. cross. And then he ascended into heaven to the heavenly temple mm-hmm. where he now sits. Of which the earthly temple was only a copy. was only a copy. And offers intercession and forgiveness. That is such a climactic event that to ignore that and to continue to operate an old temple Mm -hmm. is an abomination. That's right. So it's like, and I think that that it took me a while to get there. I was like, oh, God's people are totally rejecting the true temple that is being operated. And they are are anti-Christ. Christ in the way that they are continuing to operate a temple when another temple has been provided for them and another sacrifice has been provided for them. Yes. Yeah. All. Yeah. When. 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 In the Torah, when God is establishing the sacrificial system and the place for sacrifices, Mm -hmm. He says again and again that there is this heavy importance on. I will name the place where sacrifices can occur. Yes, that's right. And to do that elsewhere is an abomination. That's right? right. Like it's That's idolatry. Right. It's wrong. And so, you know, at first it's going to happen in this movable structure called the tabernacle. Right. But then whenever the temple is built by Solomon, organized by David and then accomplished mm-hmm. by Solomon, you don't then have sacrifices needing That's to take right. place in two places. Right. Right. They're... You sacrifice at the temple and not, you mm-hmm. know, at, in the old tabernacle anymore. And yes. It, because the former one was superseded and God has named and blessed the new place, right? So when, right. when Solomon builds the temple, God comes and fills it with his presence, yep. right? And so now Jesus has said, I am the new temple. Mm-hmm. The presence of God has filled me fully. The mm-hmm. fullness of God in me is pleased to dwell. I am the final place of God's residence and his final sacrifice. Therefore, I'm the place where you come to for atonement, for priestly connection to God. That's right. To go anywhere else is an abomination. That's Therefore, right. I'm going to destroy this abomination. This, this temple, just like the old tabernacle was destroyed. That's right. Because you don't need two places. So, which leads me to the hot take of the day. Hot take. Is in Second Thessalonians mm-hmm. 2, um, Paul is trying to encourage the Thessalonian believers by saying, hey, we know the day of the Lord has not come yet. Right. We know that he has not come yet because a man of lawlessness has not yet been revealed Mm -hmm. and he it's only after he has been revealed 
and destroyed will we know that the day of the Lord has come. Okay. Okay, right? Yes, right. So here's what he says. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs mm-hmm. and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Mm-hmm. So what I think he might be referring to, and I hold this loosely, is the high priests who continued to operate the temple after Jesus was resurrected Mm. and ascended to the throne. They are claiming to operate in the place of God, to offer forgiveness to God's people. They are sitting in his temple, in in a copy of his temple, Mm -hmm. but in the temple that he once, you know, uh, you know, he's exalting himself above God, even though they are the ones that actually killed him. Mm -hmm. The phrase here, don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man due to destruction, that phrase, the man due to destruction is only used one other time in the Bible hmm. It's referred. It's use of Judas in his betrayal of Jesus. Hmm. So it's like, we've already have a hyperlink here between the betrayal of Jesus and the replacing of Jesus with another power or authority. And then here, this phrase, the man of lawlessness and this great rebellion that occurs. And Jesus even mentions lawlessness in his description of the events that will precede the destruction of the temple in verse 12 of chapter 24 in Matthew. Because of the increase of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. Mm. So there seems to be, an, the idea seems to be that, um, in my understanding, is that Paul is talking about um, and trying to encourage the Thessalonian believers with the fact that, like, I've t- Jesus told us that leading up to the destruction of the temple, there would be this great deception of many potential, of, of many people, that there would be a climactic high priest who sets himself up as God, claiming to be God when God is already offering sacrifices in heaven. He's going to deceive people with this lie, and he's going to cause persecution throughout uh, the area in which he's influential, mm-hmm. and God's going to judge him. So I, that is what I'm thinking Paul's referring to as the man of lawlessness, mm. is the high priests in charge of Israel's temple, um, prior to the destruction of it in eighty seventy. Interesting. That might have been a long way to get there, but what are you thinking? Um, yeah, I'm thinking that's viable. Uh, yeah, because it, yeah, it, it would be that you know if we're going all in on this, there can't be two temples thing, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. okay, who's facilitating this? These rival now lawless. Mm-hmm. non-Torah sanctioned That's sacrifices. Right. Yeah. It would be whoever's the high priest at the time. That's right. So that would be the man of lawlessness. And maybe he's doing something that is creating a revival for the physical temple and physical sacrifices mm-hmm. with physical animals. That's right. That's leading people who did trust in Jesus away. I don't mm-hmm. know the history behind that or what happened in that period of time. Yep. Um, so I'd be curious to learn more about I that. I would be curious to learn more too. Um, um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, maybe, right? But that would be a an abomination. It would be an abomination. Like to, yeah, like we've said, to offer it, sacrifices somewhere else other than Jesus. Right. Um, so and then eventually, under this rule, Rome comes in, just like Babylon came in and destroyed That's the right. first temple. Yeah. And they cease the sacrifices in the temple permanently. Yeah. So if you go back and read Daniel uh, 9, 11, Daniel 12, 
the abomination that causes desolation comes in and just stops all the sacrifices from ever occurring. Right, yes. So, which is a fitting punishment Mm -hmm. for someone who claims uh, to operate in the place of God and offer forgiveness instead of God. Right. It's like, you're going to claim to offer sacrifices to forgive people? No, I'm stopping that business right now. Right. Yeah. And yeah, with Babylon, it's like, I'm going to give you a physical symbol, Israel, of the cut off relationship, the broken covenant that we have. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put an end to the reconciliation and atonement that takes place at the temple. Mm -hmm. I'm going to cut it off for a second. Yeah. Right. Um, And now he's doing that to the whole Jewish people uh, because like the Messiah has come. Yeah. And I'm going to show you that there is no other pardon for sin other than Mm -hmm. in Jesus, the Messiah by shutting down the sacrificial system. That's right. There's only one place for atonement and it's, it's in him. Yes. Um, I have so many questions though. Yes. Let's go. Um, one is why would this matter to the Thessalonians? Yes, because judgment is happening in real time. Okay. Like I think there's a sense in which we can like forget that Jesus prophesied a real, a real time within a generation judgment of people of their persecutors but they're not their persecutors they're not directly it's 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 jerusalem's temple however yeah um paul draws a straight connection between the persecutors of jesus and the persecution they're experiencing Mm. in thessalonica he says this in first thessalonians 2 14 for you brothers and sisters became imitators of god's churches in judea which are in christ jesus you suffered from your own people the same things those suffered those churches suffered from the Jews in Judea who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets who also drove us out they displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the gentiles so that they might be saved mm. in this way they heap up their sins to the limit the mm. wrath of God has come upon them at last and i think paul here is speaking prophetically right. of a future event being so certain that he's speaking of it happening in the present tense. Right, okay. And yep. so Paul seems to be drawing a straight line between the suffering persecution of Jesus, his suffering at the hands of the Thessalonians beforehand, and their current suffering. And he's right. saying, God's opinion of those who are persecuting you will occur in real time. Right. Uh, not far from now. Mm-hmm. In Jerusalem, as in the rest of the world. Yes. Yeah. And I think, I think just even maybe like politically to think about it. It's like, it's the Jews in Thessalonica. Mm-hmm. They're connected to the temple. The religious establishment at Thessalonica is connected That's to right. the religious establishment in Jerusalem. And they're taking orders from them right. in who, some sense. Who else sent Saul to go kill a bunch of Christians That's, other than Jerusalem? That's exactly right. right. So I think the idea here is any pressure you are under from them mm-hmm. is about to be swiftly dealt with as has been promised by Jesus. Right. Okay. I get that. So I think it's like good news in real time. Right. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. The next next question I have is there are some details Mm -hmm. surrounding what that day will look like. Yep. That just don't fit in my category of what happened in the year 70 AD. Let's talk about it. With the raising of the temple. Uh, Namely, that those who are dead will rise mm-hmm. and right. Like that's, yeah, that seems to be like, that didn't happen. Right. Like not, it wasn't like a mass resurrection that I'm unaware of whenever mm-hmm. Rome destroyed the temple. Yeah. Here's what the verse you're referencing says. It says for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God 
and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And that meet the Lord in the air language is ascension language from Mm -hmm. Daniel 7. Right, like we talked about earlier. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Mm -hmm. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Yeah. So you're right. Was there a mass resurrection when Jesus came? No, not that I'm aware of. Right. However, I just want you, let's read Jesus's version of these same words in Matthew 24. Here's how Jesus describes his coming to the earth um, in Matthew 24, verse 30 and 31. He says this, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the people of earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send his angels Mm -hmm. with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. So that's not verse for verse parallel. There's no mention of the resurrection of the dead. However, there is a mention of loud, loud commands, the voice of an archangel, the trumpet call of God, and the gathering Gathering of God's God's people people. to himself. So remember this passage in context is supposed to be encouraging persecuted, uh, persecuted Thessalonians Mm -hmm. whose friends have died under the influence of some of the Jewish authorities, right? Right. Yep. And so he's saying, Jesus has, has talked about how the Jewish authorities who persecute us will be um, will be judged. And he quotes a whole bunch of things that Jesus said, but he's also trying to comfort them in their grief, mm-hmm. right? And so he's, he's also saying that when Jesus comes in that day, there is a sense in which they are being united with God in a special way in that moment. Mm-hmm. They're being vindicated right. in that moment. I think right? I get, yeah, I think I get the idea of why Paul would add an insertion into mm-hmm. a loose quote of Matthew yeah. 24, uh, because he's like, I mean, insofar as whatever it means that Jesus on that day will gather the elect to himself from the four winds, that's also got to include the dead in Christ. That's right. Okay, so I get that. Yeah. So, But what does it mean then if the destruction of the temple is what's being talked about in what sense are the elect and the dead elect gathered to Jesus when the temple is destroyed? Great question. <laughs> probably not an answer I have right now and probably a hole in what I'm thinking about. But let me give you some thoughts. Okay. Um, one, this language can also be a reference to just simply the ascension of Christ. Mm. And so at the ascension of Christ, one, dead people start walking out of their graves in Matthew 1. So there is a sense that the dead rise. Remember, this coming language, this the clouds language, mm-hmm. is ascension language. Right. So there is a sense that Paul could be referencing simply the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And in Matthew, we have dead people rising from the grave in that moment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and presumably, as Jesus rises in power in that moment, he is proving in a fairly dramatic way that those who have died faithful to Christ will rise with him. Mm-hmm. So... Right now in heaven, where are those who have died? Risen, sitting with Christ in power. There's a spiritual sense in which they've been risen in power. That's right. The martyrs are with Jesus right now, crying out for vindication. That's right. Um, And in the book of Revelation, it talks about that way. Jesus ascends to his throne Mm -hmm. in Revelation 4. Revelation 5, the martyrs cry out, when will we be vindicated? Mm -hmm. Jesus responds, not until all the martyrs have died, and I'll vindicate God's people all at once, right? Mm -hmm. And then he does so. So there could be a sense in which the dead rise first is a 
reference to the dead in Christ who are now reigning and risen with him in a spiritual sense. Mm -hmm. It could also simply just be his way of inserting the hope of the bodily resurrection in a That is to come. That is to come. It's another horizon in the mountain range. That's right. And it could be that he's collapsing them. Right. Which a lot of people argue is what Jesus is doing in Matthew 24. That he's talking about the destruction of the temple and his ultimate return at the same time. And he's looking at the mountain range, and we have to understand which one is the first peak and the second peak. Yes. So, okay, yeah. That, that, one's, that one's a little difficult. That one's a little difficult. And yep. I think the assumption behind that question is that Paul atten- intends to give us a precise chronology or order of events. Oh, no, I'm not talking about the dead in Christ will rise first. That wasn't my question. I understand. My question was a resurrection and a gathering. Yes. In what sense is there a resurrection and a gathering of the elect? In whatever order, I don't yes. care. Yes. Uh, when the temple's destroyed. That was my question. Yes. It was like, well, there's... there, And when the temple of Jesus' body was, was destroyed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the dead were raised. Mm-hmm. And the temple was judged. There was mm-hmm. the rending of the veil yep. in, a, in, the, in the first down payment of the temple's destruction at Jesus' death. All these yep. things are mapping onto each other. And to your point, the chronology isn't what's important, but that the causation is yeah and that jesus death and resurrection leads to the judgment of the temple mm-hmm. right and so there was a resurrection of the dead at the death of jesus that's right right and then soon after the temple was raised so like they all do overlap they all, they all overlap but we just as westerners you know have to get comfortable with right not not linear thought uh, you yeah know, that's just not how the jewish mind always thinks yeah and i could be wrong and this totally. will all be about the last day and Absolutely. i'm just reading too much into it. Well, that's going to be my next question. Yes. Is what does this reading of Thessalonians as, as maybe as the, as first order, not as exclusively, Uh but as the first peak talking about the destruction of the temple, what does that do to, uh, our understanding of the last coming of Jesus? Because a lot of these verses are often used in how we construct what that coming will look like. I think, the last coming of Jesus is when all evil is done away with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're united with God forever. He comes down, defeats all evil, and heaven comes down and joins earth, right? right. That's yeah. what happens in the last day. Right. The events leading up to that moment mm. will invariably, I think what the Bible teaches us to expect, will look something like that day. Mm-hmm. And there'll be patterns and iterations on themes. I don't think we lose any if we lose first and second Thessalonians as pictures of of what must happen before the last day occurs. I think the only thing we lose in a sense is them as definitive descriptions of the last day. Mm-hmm. What we gain is them as patterns of things that happen in this day. The lawless one, right, meeting the Lord in the air. All these things are descriptions of current world events that will be repeated until Christ comes in a similar fashion. Mm. So let me give you an example of this. Okay. So in 2 Thessalonians 2, the man of lawlessness shows up. He causes this great falling away of people. He mm-hmm. performs false signs and wonders. But then he's restrained by somebody, strangely, mm-hmm. but then that restrainer is taken away, and then he's allowed to wreak havoc, and then Jesus comes on the scene, and by the breath of his mouth, destroys him. Mm-hmm. So the way that... One way to read that, the way that I'm reading it, is that, okay, the restrainer is one of the high priests of Israel. He causes... Or the restrained one. Or, sorry, the the, the man of lawlessness yeah, is one yeah, of the yeah. high priests of Israel. Mm-hmm. He's causing people to trust in the false temple rather than in Jesus Christ. Right. 
he's persecuting believers in Jesus. However, there's a restraining force, which is perhaps the church in Jerusalem mm. or James preventing God's judgment until his sins have filled up the full measure, right? right? Mm -hmm. uh, but then James dies in AD 64, the leader of the church. Mm -hmm. His evil is allowed to run rampant. And then in AD 70, he's destroyed. Right. Right. So that's, that's one, one way to read it. One way to read it. Fascinatingly, um, in Revelation 20, mm -hmm. when Satan is finally destroyed. It follows the same pattern. It follows exactly the yeah. same pattern. So when I first read this, I thought uh, Paul was talking about Satan's binding. The man mm. of lawlessness was Satan right. himself. Mm. The problem with that is like he acts like Satan. So it's weird to say Satan will act like Satan. He's also oh. called a man. Right. Uh, so it's like there's some theories that break there. But I think the idea is that on the last day, mm. right now Satan's bound in some way. But yeah. on the last day, he'll be released from his bonds. He'll cause some chaos. But Jesus, by the sword in his mouth, would completely demolish him. Mm -hmm. That's the way Revelation 20 plays out. Right. It's a description of the final destruction of evil. Yeah. But Paul is using that to describe a near day of destruction mm. against potentially, potentially, the temple. Right. Right. So it's like, they're the same thing. It's like they're the same thing, right? So I don't know if we lose anything. Yeah, and I think that's the point that I'm. I was hoping to get out of that question, which is, it, we have a repeat of the coming of the uh, of the Lord and the day of the Lord that has been happening since Passover. That's right. You know, like that's since, right. since Exodus, this mm -hmm. this pattern has been established, and then it turned against Israel herself when Babylon came. Yeah. Right. And now it's it, it came again against the second temple uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection. It came against it cataclysmically because now there's a new temple. Yeah. But then it's going to happen again when the final temple comes to earth in Jesus Himself. Mm -hmm. Right. And there won't be any temple in the new heavens and new earth. Because Jesus will be in our midst. Yeah. And so it's, I don't, I, I think we need to avoid, I think you're saying the same thing. We need to avoid an either or mentality yes. here and have yes. a both and. Yes. That the Bible does not take an either or mentality when it comes to the day of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And it's impossible to consistently read your Bible from beginning to end and think that the day of the Lord is about one day. Because That's you'll right. have to choose one. Right. And you can't because the Bible refers to multiple days and multiple different epochs as the mm -hmm. day of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so it that logic breaks in and of itself. You cannot read the day of the Lord as a singular event. That's right. Uh, it's impossible to either or it. You must both yeah. and it. And they roll up into each other. And each one teaches us something about the yeah. last one. So we learn that God judges evil, right? In, in the Exodus story, mm -hmm. right? We learn that even among his own people, he'll judge evil when mm -hmm. Babylon destroys his temple. We yeah. learn that he's provided an ultimate way to escape evil, evil through Jesus, his son, and rules out all earthly sacrificial systems and religions yeah. that want to replace him. He yeah. judges all of that, and it, he singularly, singularly binds up the kingdom and the sacrifices and the temple and the priesthood all on himself, and that's it. Yes. But then there's still those operations and other kingdoms and things happening on earth that temple right. needs to come. And it's like, we're yeah. still, it's all rolling up and we're still waiting for yeah. a day that looks like Exodus, that looks like Babylon, that looks like the destruction of the temple in eighty seventy, mm -hmm. And it's going to all roll up into the yeah. second coming of Jesus. Yeah. So it is a both and and not an either or. Yeah. And I think my whole like hope in this conversation was like, Oh man, I have these prior assumptions about uh, Matthew 24. Mm-hmm. And I have prior assumptions about that first and second Thessalonians. 
I think Matthew 24 is about the destruction of the temple, but I think Thessalonians is about the future coming of Jesus. Right. But they seem to be talking to each other yes. so much, and I haven't heard a ton of people trying to mesh those two ideas right. together. Yeah. So that's what I'm hoping this conversation accomplishes yeah. because it's like it could all be about the second day of the Lord. Yeah. But there's so much in there that's referencing the destruction of the temple in 8070. It's like, isn't there a way that it could be both? Right. Isn't there a way that these texts relate to one another and speak to each other in a way that, like like we're suggesting, right. that it's the hope of a near day of the Lord's judgments against evil in expectation of the mm-hmm. final day of ju- the judgment of Satan yeah. himself, the ultimate deceiver and the causer of chaos and persecution yeah. in the world. And, um, let's, and let's like, let's good news this real quick. Yes. Let's spoken gospel this for a moment because I've never thought of it like this. That okay, cool. Why does all this matter? <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's got a bit it better get to hope or encouragement or else yeah, we've yeah, missed yeah, the point yeah, yeah. of first second Thessalonians. And it's like we you know, so I remember I remember being at a conference one time speaking and someone came up to me and they just said, um, you know, why are why are you a Christian? You know, why do you believe in God? Mm-hmm. Uh and I was like, Because of the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. That is the historical, verifiable like proof of my faith. Yeah. That if Christ is not raised, we are uh, among most to be pitied. Um, but we have actually another historical marker that repeats this story of death and resurrection, of God's ultimate judgment of the world and vindication of the righteous mm-hmm. in AD 70. Hmm. That because Jesus prophesied that the temple would be destroyed and right. that he would prove once and for all that he is the final place for us to find forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God mm-hmm. because the temple was destroyed and has not been rebuilt. Like, yeah. we know that Jesus comes against sin and judges it. We know that Jesus provides the place for atonement because he has done what he said he was going to do in space and time. Like, historically verified, no one disagrees right. that the temple was destroyed in <clears throat> the year 70. That's right. And that actually is means of encouragement because yeah, it right. shows that Jesus does bring justice, that there is a day of the Lord, right? That yeah. he does judge wickedness and vindicate the righteous. Yeah. And that actually builds my faith. It's not just what happened in, quote unquote, 8030, right. 33, when Jesus yeah. was raised from the dead, but it also happened yeah, in yeah. 70. And it's like, there is a day of the Lord. It's historically verified. Mm-hmm. And like that grows my faith that That's there will right. be another day of the Lord in space and time, in history, here on earth as yeah. in heaven, that God will come judge right. the wicked and vindicate the righteous. And think about then the Thessalonians in that sense. It's mm. like Jesus prophesied something that hasn't happened. Yes. And if it doesn't happen or it doesn't happen the way that he said he did, Jesus is not the Messiah. He claimed That's right. Yep. That's he right. might have risen for the dead, but he got something wrong. So that mm-hmm. can't mean he's God. Mm-hmm. So like, there's this real sense that Jesus hooked part of his yep. claims to divinity, not on his prophecies coming true. Right. And the fact that they did is a huge encouragement right. to, to believers. <laughs> yeah, and that he wasn't there to like facilitate it or like physically carry it out. That's right. That it's like, oh, he must be on the ascended throne mm-hmm. because he made this happen. That's right. It was a day of Jesus' coming because what he said would happen did happen. It was by his word that it happened. Mm-hmm. Like he spoke it and it came to and it came to, it's the sword in his mouth. It, yeah. it happened. So, um, all right. I want to say one more thing. One more thing. And then let's close this thing okay. down. Um, I think it's really ironic, an ironic thing. One of the, when the Pharisee, when Jesus first starts doing miracles, he heals a paralyzed man. Mm. And he says, I tell you, your sins are forgiven. Right. The religious leaders go crazy. Right. No one can forgive sins. Mm-hmm but God alone. Mm-hmm. 
and then fast forward to um, the continuation of the temple system after the destruction, uh, after the, the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Ah. They continue to forgive people's sins through a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's right. Um, by their own words. They are condemned. They are condemned. They are blaspheming right. the risen Christ. That's right. Um, which is kind of blew my mind when I, when I when I saw that yeah. uh, that connection. Mm. There's forgiveness in, uh, uh, There's forgiveness in Jesus. Forgiveness in Jesus. <laughs> yes. um, he has made the sacrifice. Yeah. There's nowhere else you have to go. Yeah. Jesus is the place for forgiveness yeah. and reconciliation. All right. Well, that wraps up our discussion on First and Second Thessalonians. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for walking through these letters with us. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next time.